Welcome to the Mysteries of Latin America podcast. My name is Andrew Colon, and I'd like to welcome you to part two of our podcasts dedicated to telling the story of the disappearance of Chris Kremers and Lisanne Fromm. Chris and Lisanne were two young women from the Netherlands who went to Panama for some sun, fun, and adventure. It was on an ill-fated hiking trip, though, that these two young women disappeared, and it's still a mystery as to what exactly happened to them. We've called the podcast Secrets in the Jungle, The Disappearance of Chris and Lisanne, and I'd like to thank you for joining us here on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast, or wherever you're listening to us. Now, in this episode and the following one, because I've decided to add a part three because of all the information involved, we'll try to unravel the many sometimes contradicting clues in the case, especially objects found, and haunting set of photographs found on their phones and a camera. We'll look at theories and speculation that have emerged over time, and we'll let you know how the investigation stands today. I think that when we're through, you'll see why I chose this as one of the most compelling mysteries of Latin America. Before getting into the details I mentioned a minute ago, let's do a quick summary for those of you who haven't listened to part one, and I do recommend you definitely listen to that episode for vital information about how this story began and to refresh our memories. Two young female students from the Netherlands, Chris Kremers and Lisanne Fron, went to Panama in March 2014 for what they planned to be over a little, little over a month's stay in western Panama in the region known as Boquete. Boquete isn't far from the border with Costa Rica, and it's a charming rainforest town known for its picturesque landscapes and pleasant climate, coffee plantations, and a misty cloud forest where people like to go to hike, enjoy the rainforest, see wildlife, and explore. When their initial plans to volunteer at a local children's school didn't work out, they opted to go hiking on a local trail for what should have been a short day hike, roughly three and a half hours or so. The girls never made it back to Boquete from this hike, and at first local residents and authorities started looking for them and then Dutch and international authorities and highly specialized professional and volunteers became involved in their search and rescue. But by the first week of June 2014, over two months after their disappearance, there was still no word on them or what happened to them. And then there was a break in the case. On June 11, 2014, a local resident found a blue Lycra backpack stuck between a rock and a river near the village called Alto Romero. Now, if you remember episode one, you might remember that the area near Alto Romero was ruled out as an area to search by authorities for different reasons. One of those reasons was that the area was too dangerous to go into and that the girls surely wouldn't have gone that far. The reason they might have thought that they didn't go was that it was almost 10 to 15 kilometers between six and nine miles and a good 14 hours away on foot on those trails. The contents of the bag were conclusive. It contained money, wrappers from a candy or lozenges, a water bottle, two bras, two sunglasses, two cell phones, and a digital camera. The backpack, as investigation would later show, belonged to Lisanne Fron. 
And if you're wondering, did analysis of the contents find anything telling? The clothing and most of the other objects yielded fingerprints and DNA, but didn't yield anything that moved the investigation forward significantly beyond the fact that the clothing and the objects belonged to both girls. Bear in mind that the investigation and analysis was being done by both Panamanian and Dutch authorities, and by the time forensics got a hold of the backpack, many people had handled it. But what did yield what could be important clues were the phones and the camera. Data was recovered from the phones that showed that the girls were likely in trouble shortly after their hike started. Attempts were made during the afternoon of the hike to contact emergency services by cell phone. But there was no signal out there, and the calls never got through. During the next 96 hours, more attempts were made, with the same results until April 5th. Bear in mind that they went out on the hike on the morning of April 1st. On day six, something strange happened. After a few days out there of turning on and turning off the phone and putting in the passcode to use it, the iPhone belonging to Chris Kremers was turned on, but an incorrect PIN number was put in many times. Some reports say that as many as 70 or more times, someone tried to use Chris's iPhone and entered an incorrect passcode. Was it that Chris was incapacitated or worse? And maybe Lizanne was trying to use the phone without knowing the passcode to get help? Or was it someone else? While the phones and camera did suffer some water damage, Forensic investigation of everything on both phones and the camera, from fingerprints to the times the phones were turned on and off, to the times the phones were used, to swipe patterns on the screens, didn't shed a definitive light on their disappearance. There were still more questions than answers. But there were photos of the hike, over 100 of them on the camera alone. The first group of pictures from the camera was what you might imagine uh, to be photos from a hike in a tropical rainforest to be. Pictures of the scenery, the mountains, and lots of selfies of the girls together, smiling it up for the camera. And then there was a group of pictures of the two girls at the summit of the trail, at a place along the trail called El Mirador. Mirador in Spanish translates to lookout point, and the pictures featured the girls with stunning vistas all around them. By this time, it's a little after 1 p.m., and the girls took similar pictures on their phones. The last set of photos from this series was taken just before 2 p.m. While forensic analysis of their phones shows that their phones were powered on and off, possibly trying to get a signal, until they ran out of battery, the next set of photos from the camera wouldn't be taken until nighttime, April 8th, seven days after they began their hike. Beginning at about 1.30 a.m. on April 8, 2014, the camera registered almost 100 photos taken between that time and 4.10 a.m. Many of the photos were taken in a quick blast with flash, but it's nighttime in a rainforest, and in most of the photos you can sort of make out vegetation and maybe rocks, but many of them were just darkness with spots from the flash or totally indistinguishable and one photo was deleted. But there were a few photos that would be telling. 
Photo 550 from the Canon digital camera was a photo of two bright red plastic bags tied to some twigs on a large river rock. On top of the rock, there was a crumpled up bit of paper. Investigators say that that crumpled up paper might have been part of a brochure type map that Lisanne carried around of the region from a rental car company, a promotional type map. That same map shows up in photos taken well before the hike. Were the red bags tied to the twigs some sort of signal for help? Or were they marking the area in case they came back through? Or was someone else using it as a signal? But still, there were no photos of Chris or Lisanne. And then there was photo number 580. Chris Kremers had red hair, very red hair. Photo number 580 from the Canon camera, taken at about 1.47 on April 8th, seven days after the girls went missing, was a picture of the back of Chris Kremer's head. Her red hair was unmistakable. But other than that, there's little that investigators could get from the photo. It's just a seemingly random photo of the back of someone's head. Maybe it was accidentally taken. There were no obvious signs of injury, but you couldn't tell much else from it. You couldn't tell if Chris Kremers was hurt, but you couldn't tell if she was alive, either. And from just before 2 a.m. April 8th to just after 4 a.m., many photos were taken with the camera, with flash, of what looked like vegetation, or straight up into the trees, or out into the darkness. Were they trying to signal someone with the flash? Maybe they heard someone, or something. Were they trying to scare something away? Investigators and crowdsourced opinions still haven't been able to come up with definitive answers. But on June 19, 2014, definitive proof was found. On that day, over a month and a half after Chris Kremers and Lisanne Fron disappeared while hiking the El Pianista Trail, police searched the area where the backpack was found and with the help of local indigenous people called the Engobe, found bone remains and shoes along the Culebra River, upstream from where the backpack was recovered. And then a pair of jean shorts were also found. At first, the local guide who found them said they were on a bank of the same river. Later, the guide said he found it floating on the river. Another inconsistency. And while they were searching in the general area where the backpack was found, the shorts were still a good 14-hour hike from the location of the backpack, given the distances and the terrain. The bone remnants, and that's all that they found, were several hours away from the shorts. What were found were part of a foot still inside of a hiking shoe and part of a pelvic bone. Forensic analysis determined that these bones belonged to Chris and Lisanne. While at least a few more fragments were found, there wasn't enough evidence to cite a cause of death for either girl. The condition of the bones has given online investigators, both amateur and professional, cause for pause. The foot bone might indicate blunt force trauma, but not consistent with the fall. More like something massive hit the top of the foot. And not all of the bones were in the same condition. Some of them were in relatively good shape considering decomposition, 
And please excuse me if any of this is too specific, but I'm trying to keep it non-gory. But some of the bones appeared to be very white, what some people have called bleached. Some suggest that there was evidence of a possible phosphate chemical process done to some of the bones, suggesting they weren't bleached by sun exposure. It might be important to mention that there were no scratches or marks on the bones, which is something I wondered, as there are animals out in these areas. But the fact that we're dealing with less than a handful of bones for two adult-sized women make it impossible to draw conclusions from this evidence alone. In August, more remnants were found, and the DNA matched Lisanne Fron. But these findings didn't get anyone any closer to finding out what really happened to Chris and Lisanne. In the end, no official cause of death could be determined, as the few remains found didn't reveal a clear cause. This didn't stop local officials and the Panamanian government from taking the official position in November of 2014 that Chris and Lisanne somehow suffered fatal accidents on this treacherous, muddy, dangerous terrain during their hike and that their backpacks and remains were most likely taken downstream by the Rio Culebra. I'm sure you have questions. So do I. And if you check out Scarlet R's blog and YouTube channel, the addresses are listed and mentioned in the first podcast, but I'll mention them here in a second. You can peer down into the virtual rabbit hole of questions, doubts, and theories. Scarlet R's blog is called Codecas. And please excuse me for my horrible Dutch pronunciation, but it roughly translates to cold case. And you can find it at https colon slash slash k-o-u-d-e-k-a-a-s dot blogspot.com. On YouTube, you should look up https colon slash slash www.youtube.com slash at scarlet r dot seven seven five three. Or you can just go into YouTube and look for Scarlet R and you'll find her channel there. I'm sending people there because Scarlett by far has the most complete collection of information, evidence, and theories on the case. And while she does have her opinions, she presents all types of viewpoints and information on Chris and Lizanne's disappearance and now death. As for my questions, my first question is what happened between the set of photos taken on April 1st at the lookout point on the trail and April 8th? in the very early morning. How does almost a week go by without at least taking a picture and then taking a blast of photos in a three-hour period before dawn? Did one or both of the girls have an accident, or worse, and the other was making a last-ditch effort at documenting what happened? Or did someone else get a hold of the camera and accidentally take a bunch of seemingly random photos at night? Theories and speculations absolutely abound. And while I didn't plan on it at first, because of so much information and evidence to sift through and talk about, we'll look at two possible scenarios that might have happened in part three of the podcast. One, that one or both of the girls had an accident or accidents and died alone in the jungle, or that they weren't alone out there and someone found them and was responsible for the disappearances and deaths. Friends, if you haven't listened to part one of the podcast I've called Secrets in the Jungle, The Disappearance of Chris and Lizanne, 
I strongly recommend you do that as soon as possible so you can get the proper background and context before moving on to part three. If you're listening on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or some other medium, we're on a few. Just check out the main podcast page to listen to the first part. And also, if you have questions or comments on the disappearance, handling of the case, or anything else related to this or any of the podcasts in the Mysteries of Latin America podcast collection, feel free to reach out to me at andy at andycancun.com. That's andy at andycancun.com and I'll answer you personally. For now, friends, I just want to thank you for listening, following, and sharing this podcast with your friends and families so we can keep telling the stories that become part of the mysteries of Latin America. Until next time, when I come back for part three, I'm Andrew Colon. Adios. Thank you.